HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Big Green Egg, the world's largest producer of ceramic charcoal grills, and also by Springer Mountain Farms, over 300 family farms raising birds in Georgia's Blue Ridge Mountains. Learn more at BigGreenEgg.com and SpringerMountainFarms.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, We're giving Jimmy Carbone a quick break because he's been doing a marathon three hours of broadcasting beer sessions live from Charleston Wine and Food Festival. I'm Kat Johnson. I am Heritage Radio Network's communication director. Uh, Heritage Radio Network is a member-supported nonprofit radio station based in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Please go check us out at heritageradionetwork.org, and you can see our full schedule for this weekend at heritageradionetwork.org slash charleston. We're getting close to the end of our time here, and it's been really great. Um, A lot of our shows and interviews have been posted from Friday and Saturday, so go listen. Check that out. We've spoken to so many amazing people this weekend, and we want to give a huge thank you to our sponsors, Big Green Egg and Springer Mountain Farms, for making this all possible for us. We also want to give a shout-out to Breville, who's sharing our double teepee with us and keeping everybody caffeinated. Thanks, Breville. So I'm really excited because now I am joined by Manit Chohan from Nashville and Meherwan Irani from Asheville. And I want you guys to introduce yourself and and tell us about your restaurants. Um, So my name is Manit Chohan. I have um, a restaurant in Nashville called Chohan Ailen Masala House. Um, Next week, uh, we are opening another restaurant called Tan So, uh, which is a Chinese concept. And in two months, opening a a modern chef-top diner concept called Mockingbird. Um, We have a brewery called Mantra Artisanal Ales, and we are opening another brewery. So, yeah, a few things that I'm doing. You're doing everything. I'm also a mommy of two, which (laughs) is the toughest thing to do. I believe you. Hi, so I'm Marijuana Rani. I'm from Asheville, North Carolina. And uh, my restaurants include Chaipani, Asheville, Chaipani Decatur in Atlanta, Botiwala in Atlanta, uh, Buxton Hall Barbecue in Asheville, MG Road Bar and Lounge in Asheville, and we've just launched a new spice company called Spicewala. So yeah, it's a mouthful. So you're both getting into lots of different ventures besides just restaurants. Yeah, we got smart. We figured out how hard restaurants were, <laughs> and sometimes some side deals are sometimes Let's are easier. Yeah. It has to be a healthy uh, combination of being passionate and being smart. 
So being a chef and a, a business person, and I think that is, um, I think that's the key to success. And I think being Indian gives us an edge. Always. 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 So speaking of that, you both grew up in India. So can you tell me a little bit about that experience and then how you, when you came to America and your background? So um, I grew up in a really small town in India called Ranchi, which is in eastern India. And the incredible part was that um, there were people from all over India because it was, a, it was an ingenious colony. And uh, the incredible part about India is that each and every state, each and every region has a very distinct cuisine of its own. And uh, that's pretty much where my love for food really started. Because I would like literally have dinner at home and then go to my neighbor's place and tell them that my parents haven't given me any food to eat, so can you please feed me? And I would be sitting in their kitchen and watching the aunties cook. And I would be that pesky Y kid. Why are you adding the ginger and garlic before the onions? Why are you using... Um, this spice, which I had never seen in my house, or why are you boiling the water before you add rice? So I would be asking all of those questions. And that's literally where the love for food started. And then when my older sister went to college, every time I would go to visit her um, at her dorms, I would take food. And suddenly I realized I was the most popular kid on campus. And I'm like, hey, how about I do something that I love and people love me for it? Like, wow. So, um, so in a very conservative Indian society where everybody was uh, starting to be an engineer or a doctor, and if you're really thinking outside the box, you would be a CPA or an accountant. And over here, I want to be a chef. And um, so my parents told me that do whatever you want to, just make sure that you're the best at it. So that meant going to the best schools. I did my hotel management in India in um, the Welcome Group Graduate School, which is constantly rated as the top three. Um, and then I asked one of my instructors, which is the best place in the world to go to for culinary education. And he said CIA, which is the Culinary Institute of America before anybody thinks it's more glamorous or exciting. And I came here to go to the CIA and yeah, I've, I've been here ever since. Cool. That's awesome story. Um, so I actually was born in London. My parents were living and working there when I was born. And I was five when they came back to India. So that's why I don't sound like this mostly. <laughs> I think because I had a little what bit of British. What are you trying to tell I, me no, right no, nothing, now? Nothing, nothing, madam. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I arrived in a very small town in India called Ahmednagar, which is the central west coast of India near Mumbai. And, uh, you know, again, I speak about how, like Manit was saying, India is not a monolith. Every region's got its own distinct cuisine. So growing up in Maharashtra, the state I was in, I was exposed to a very particular style of cuisine, which is Maharashtrian cuisine. And that's still my comfort and what I like to cook. And, uh, but I was a very odd circumstance because my mom is Hindu Brahmin, which is a particular sect in, in India. And my dad is Parsi, or Zoroastrian, where his family originally migrated to India from Persia. And it's very rare for those two castes to marry outside of their caste, especially for Parsis. They're very, um, sort of con very tribal. Um, and I think that gave me an early exposure to more distinct cuisines than I would have had if I only lived where I grew up. Because most of us eat the food of our region and of our family and of our cultural heritage and our background. Uh, but being Parsi and Hindu, um, I got to sort of experience both sides of the spectrum. And the fact that for a few, few years my parents were in the West also brought a little bit of that influence in. I didn't grow up 
in the kitchen. You know, people ask me all the time, oh, you must have grown up cooking at your mother's side. I'm like, well, you don't understand India. I, I'm a boy. Uh, my place is not in the kitchen, um, typically. Uh, but I think it's hard to be in India uh, and not be a foodie. Uh, we don't call ourselves foodies, but our cuisine is Let, so let's spectacular. Let's put it, uh, not be an opinione, uh, opinionated <laughs> about food. foodie. Yeah. Yes. But we yes. do grow up with a deep and abiding appreciation for good food. Absolutely. Do you think that that is a part of the reason that your restaurants focus more on street food? Yeah, absolutely. Because my influence wasn't the kitchen at home. My influence as a young teenager running around was the street snacks of India. Skipping class to go get samosas outside, you know, the railway station or in college taking the little breaks for a bhel puri. Which, by the way, you know, um, even in India was sort of considered risky eating out in the streets. Oh, my God, yes. As kids. We have a pani puri, which is on our menu. And as kids, my sister and I were never allowed to eat pani puri. Because um, these literally are semolina puffs stuffed with potatoes and garbanzo beans. And then um, you put minced cilantro water in it. We were never allowed to have it because it was very questionable where the water was coming from. from. It was like playing a culinary Russian roulette. uh, Pretty much. (laughs) And we would hide from our parents and we would go and compete who eats how many and then inevitably come home with a stomachache and we could never tell our parents why. Castor oil. I don't know if they ever gave you castor oil as a kid. I used to get that all the time. <laughs> I wonder if I had an upset stomach for eating in the street. But it's, you know, this is really a little bit of a snapshot into where you come from and what you grew up in and whether you're male or female dictates as Indians in America what kind of restaurants we're going to open and what kind of food we're going to serve. Awesome. And Mani, your restaurant has more of a southern influence, wouldn't you say? Why do you think that you wanted to blend those cuisines together? Um, you know what? I keep on saying that there is, um, with southern food and Indian food, there is a commonality of um, approach in, in the terms of it being soulful. You know, I mean, it, it, it translates from the people. And I mean, there is so much soul, and I think that translates into the food. So um, to me, I learn every day. And Nashville is home right now, and there are so many inspirations that I get from all around me. I mean, especially from Nashville. I mean, we have something, Nashville is known for its hot chicken. So we have our ode to hot chicken, which is our hot chicken pakora, or our, you know, Chohan's version of meat and three. So we do those things, which is because I have learned about this and also because it's um, you're respecting the environment that you are in and and that's what makes it so exciting so one of the reasons that I love to go eat Indian food is because I have no idea how to because cook it's it at so home good <laughs> and that yes that too so for home cooks who have never even tried to cook Indian food before, what would be the advice you would give them? Like, what would be the first dish you'd cook? Uh, oh, 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 I've got to. I've, I'm sorry. I'm going to jump on that. Go I can give you a don't. Okay. Okay. Don't go and buy beeping curry powder because there's nothing known as curry powder in Indian cooking. Hallelujah. Um, that's a good question. Um, and I get asked that a lot too, obviously, and as I'm sure you do too. And, and I guess my answer to that is, um, things can be complex without being complicated. And I think people sort of sometimes confuse the two that Indian food is complicated. I'm like, it's not necessarily complicated, it's complex. And complexity is not that difficult if you know what you're doing. I mean, I, I find Southern cuisine to be complex, but not complicated. So, um, yeah, I mean, and, and I'm finding more and more as um, Indian cuisine is coming into its own that uh, things are becoming less exotic than they used to be. 
Uh, I'm seeing chefs using tamarind or curry leaves. Uh, so I think it's, 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 it's coming. The movement is coming. I think pretty soon one day, if not you, your kids, I hope, will be essentially using a very quintessential Indian ingredient and not really thinking much of it that they're cooking, oh, I'm cooking with Indian food. Whether it's cardamom or whether it's curry leaves or even black pepper, which comes from India, um, that's what I hope food moves towards. So to avoid going and buying curry powder, because we know that is a no-no, what spices do you recommend people have in their pantry as staples? So, um, you know, each and every Indian um, household has something which is known as a masala dabba, which means a spice box. And it traditionally has, um, you know, it's a round bowl, a bowl which has six small bowls, seven small bowls in it. And again, based on the region that you've grown up in, That's right. those spices are very, um, like what I grew up in a Punjabi household. So the spices that my mom used was completely different from our neighbors who were South Indians. But um, what I generally say is uh, they should be the three C's, which is the cumin, the coriander and the chili powder. Um, there, um, there should be a good garam masala. Now, a garam masala is, again, it changes from household to household. It is very regional. But a good garam masala. One of my favorite spices um, is amchur, which is dried mango powder. So it has this lovely tautness to it. And you can use it in salads and vinaigrettes. And um, uh, uh, mustard seeds. I think mustard seeds go such a long way, black mustard seeds. So those are, yeah, those are some of the recommendations that I would give. It's funny. I talk about the masala dabba all the time. And our masala dabbas probably look completely different because mine's reflective of where I came from. My garam masala is probably different from yours also, because even in something like garam masala, the ingredients are different. But I, I do want to point out, like, Indian cooking isn't just throwing spices at something. I mean, it, really, the spices are just ingredients, no different than butter or cream in French, in French cuisine. The, the, it's technique, it's technique, it's technique. And, and what I find most Indian recipe books don't really talk about technique. They don't talk about how you temper the spices, how you caramelize the onions, how you get that depth of flavor... And but you know it's it's starting to happen. Absolutely, it is. Um, that's such an amazing, amazing point that you've made. It's it's all about um, developing the different layers of flavors, um, and um, like spice. You know, you can have the best spices in the world, but if you don't cook it, you're not releasing the beauty and the aroma of the flavors. And if you take a bite, you will taste raw spice. It needs to be uh, treated with the right technique, as you were mentioning. There needs to be heat added to it. There needs to be, you know, you put it in oil. There is something which is known as tarka, which is in... In Indian, it's, it's a technique in Indian cooking, which pretty much means that you heat oil, you add spices to it, and then you pour it over the lentil soup or the vegetable or whatever. But that is, it's almost um, like I compare it to the um, auber, which is in, in French uh, cooking, it's a technique that you lift a dish with butter. Over here, you're lifting the dish with spiced oil. And I think that's what makes it so much fun. Awesome. I am excited to go home and try to cook Indian food now. Um, I also want to ask you both a little bit more about the cities that you live and work in. Can you tell me a couple of places next time I'm in Nashville or Asheville, where should I go? Obviously, besides your restaurants, because that will be my first stop. Well, the list ended there. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, 
Asheville is um, it's an amazing town. I mean, uh, people ask me, you know, so how did you at age 39 find the courage to open a restaurant and, and walk away from, you know, having what, what I call my midlife crisis? And I was like, Asheville. You know, I moved from San Francisco to Asheville. If I hadn't left San Francisco, I don't think I would have found the courage to do this. It's the kind of city where it still feels like dreamers, um, people pursuing a passion that's outside of the, the, the mainstream, artists, um, entrepreneurs just get drawn to that city. There's a certain energy to it. And the restaurant industry has benefited enormously from that artistry and passion and creativity and, and lack of fear. Um, so, I mean, I, I worry that if I give you a couple of names that I will hurt the feelings of all the other fantastic restaurants. There's so many amazing restaurants and chefs. But, um, you know, we've got restaurants like Curate, Katie Button's Ode to Spanish Tapas. We've got John Fleer's Ode to Southern Cuisine, that rhubarb. We've got Justin Burdett at Local Provisions doing amazing thing with local food. Um, you've got Brian Canapelli doing some of the most amazing Italian food I've had in my life right there in Little Street in the back of Asheville. I mean, the list goes on and on. I don't want to leave anybody out. And not to discount even the southern sort of, you know, low-down country-style cooking at Tupelo Honey or at Early Girl or just other amazing restaurants like that. So there's a long list, and I hope I don't offend anybody by leaving anybody off the list. We can add a little uh, blurb at the bottom of this episode. You can Absolutely. Like, keep adding to there it. There you go. Thank you. What about yeah, you, Minnie? Because I'm, I'm used to offending people on a regular basis. <laughs> I'll start the list right now. I'm just kidding. Ready, so, set, go. I, I know. Um, so I, I think what I love about Nashville is... Um, it's pretty much... So this is my first time um, uh, in Charleston, and this is my first time that I've been to the Charleston Wine and Food. And the one thing which um, I am walking away from this festival is the sense of um, brotherhood, sisterhood, camaraderie um, among all the chefs in the South. It's so absolutely amazing, and that's what I feel in Nashville. So when I went to Nashville, that's what made me fall in love with Nashville. It's it's young, it's exciting, it's about the food, it's... It's, it's not only about the scene. It is, you know, people are excited and th- there is passion. So, um, so that being said, I think um, um, uh, back to your earlier question, Nashville is better. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I told them they were going to find out. <laughs> I just had to say that, right? But that's because I've never been to Asheville and I've got to rectify that soon. And I confess I've um, not been to Nashville. And and soon to be fixed. Uh, Absolutely. But uh, there are some amazing restaurants. I mean, um, uh, to me, uh, Hattie Bee's does uh, hot chicken the way it's supposed to be done. I am obsessed um, uh, by by, by the evil deliciousness they create. And I I can't stop myself from eating uh, over there. Um, There is... um, the iconic Loveless Cafe, which has the most incredible biscuits, and you put more butter in it, and you put more peach preserve in it. Um, there is uh, Rolf and Daughters, which, you know, it's taken food to uh, uh, such an amazing level in Nashville. Uh, th- there is City House, there is Etch, um, there is, I mean, they are so many incredible places. Again, I know that I'm going to piss off people, but um, when you're coming to Nashville, your first stop should be Chohan Ale and Masala House, followed by, um, if it's within the next three months, then Mockingbird will be open. And, and Brian and Mikey over there will be doing an amazing job. And um, uh, Tanso, which is a Chinese concept. Look at me, like, I'm like plugging. Shamelessly, shamelessly. Honestly, absolutely. Give this girl a mic and this is what she does. 
Yes. Well, speaking of plugs, before we go, I also want to give you the opportunity to plug any nonprofits or organizations that you work with in your communities that you think are doing an outstanding job. Um, we sort of we have our own sort of inner foundation. It's called uh, Chaipani Giving, and you know, for years we worked a lot with sort of childhood hunger, no kid left behind, uh, no kid hungry. I meant sorry, <laughs> that's not not the other one. The other thing. Yeah, <laughs> no kid hungry. And um, um, and the Giving Kitchen in Atlanta. Love them, yeah. Yeah. But um, recently for me, and this is a personal issue, and I'm not trying to politicize this issue, but everything that's happened with the awareness around our immigration, immigration issue, um, you know, we've done a lot of work in essentially supporting not the politics of it, but the compassionate and humanistic conversation around that. So we're putting a lot of work into supporting the ACLU, our local Western North Carolina chapter, because they're doing unbelievable work with just helping people be represented and knowing what their rights are. So that's my plug. Awesome. Woohoo! Manit. Um, um, my, my, my cause is a very personal one. Um, my uh, son decided to be born three months early, the day we opened the restaurant. Uh, bugger, seriously. But um, it, he was in the NICU for three months, and it gave me a great um, insight on... Um, what um, March of Dimes does uh, to um, to help uh, to help make sure that my two-year-old is the 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 obnoxious uh, kid that he is right now, and that's why um, uh, the cause which I support uh, very deeply is March of Dimes because I I speak to it, I understand it. It is a support system not only for. Um, for the preemies, but the families who've had preemies, which is a, it's 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 an emotional experience to go through. So so yeah, that's that's the cause that I support. Amazing. Well, thank you both so much for being here. I really enjoyed talking to both of you, and I cannot wait to visit both Asheville and Nashville and eat at your restaurant first. Nashville first. It's an okay. Easy okay. Commute. You can fight over me. It's fine. Yeah. Feed me. Yes. Um, once again, uh, we had Manit Chohan from Nashville and Mehrwan Irani from Asheville, North Carolina, as well as Atlanta. Um, thanks again. I'm Kat Johnson. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're live at Charleston Wine and Food. Stay tuned. Also, thanks to our sponsors, Big Green Egg and Springer Mountain Farms. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more interviews on our final day of the festival. This episode is brought to you by Big Green Egg, the world's largest producer of ceramic charcoal grills. In business since 1974, they've transformed ancient cooking vessels into modern-day masterpieces. Today, they sell seven sizes of the egg, as well as hundreds of accessories designed to make your cooking fun, entertaining, and delicious. Often copied but never equaled, the Big Green Egg is the ultimate cooking experience. Learn more at biggreenegg.com. This episode is also brought to you by Springer Mountain Farms, over 300 family farmers raising birds in Georgia's Blue Ridge Mountains. Many of them are second and even third generation. They're committed to doing things the right way. Springer was one of the first poultry companies to forego the use of antibiotics, and they've embraced other humane practices too. In fact, they were the first poultry company to earn the American Humane Association seal of approval. Learn more at springermountainfarms.com.